Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Morning. I, uh, I felt this in worship and I really wanted to, to share it. I don't know for who it is. It's very simple. Uh, but I feel like someone in this room needs to know that it's, it's Romans says that it's the kindness of God that leads men to change. And it's not God standing on the corner with a picket sign telling you you need to change and screaming at you. <laughs> it's a God who's kind and gentle and loving that woos you into a place of intimacy with Him. And then from that place, you're changed. And I don't know who needs to know that. Maybe we all do. I need to be reminded of it a lot. That It's the kindness of God that changes people's lives. And it's our kindness on the earth that displays the kingdom of heaven in this world. So that's for you. Take it. I hope it is. So, um, yeah. So to be honest, I'll be pretty vulnerable with you. I don't I feel like my insides are about to come out and I, I've never really felt that before. But here we go. So um, we're just going to go ahead and read the scriptures Um, If you would, turn to Judges chapter 13. We've got it on the screen too, I think. So this is the story, this is the beginning of Samson's life. And it says, There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite of God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So this is the beginning of Samson's life. This is the story of his mom. She couldn't conceive a child, and we see that the Lord comes to her and declares that she'll have a son, and his name will be Samson. And he'll be anointed by God. And we see in this moment that Samson receives a calling of the Lord, that he's given something from before he's even born. There's a plan for something for him to do. Okay? Now, if you would flip your Bible or just read on the screen to 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 11. This is a story. It's a different story, different time period of a woman named Hannah who can't bear a child either. And she is about to conceive a son off the word of the Lord. It says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So we see there's a very similar moment, right? A woman who's barren, she can't have kids. 
Samson, the angel of the Lord, comes and tells her that she's going to have a child and his name's going to be Samson. And then you see with Samuel, the same kind of thing happens with Hannah, but she prays this and Eli, the priest, comes and says, may it be done unto you as you've believed. So there's a parallel you can see throughout Samson's life, and obviously I can't read his entire story, and Samuel's life, I can't read his entire story, but there's a parallel of what they're actually called to do. It's, uh, Samuel and Samson were both called to be judges of Israel. So they were, they were priests, they were set apart, they were anointed by God to be the judges of Israel. They both had the same calling and they had the same anointing. It came in different ways. We see that Samson was a man, it says, that, that when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him, he would have supernatural strength. So he'd be able to, to be super strong. And I don't know if I've ever seen that happen before, but I might pray for it sometime. But uh, Samson would have supernatural strength. And then when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samuel, the anointing would come upon him, and he'd be able to declare the word of the Lord And it actually says later in the scriptures that Samuel's word never failed. It says that the Lord honored Samuel's words and not one time did he give a word from the Lord and it ever failed because because of the anointing upon his life. So they had the same calling, the same anointing, but the outcome of their life is very different because of their character. And I think there's three things that make up any great man or woman of God and it's valuing character calling and anointing. And I think sometimes in the church or just in the world, really, I think that we value character above the rest. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if you're going to value one tremendously, it should be character. But I think from heaven's perspective, he values all three to the highest ability. So the ideal situation is that you walk in high character You walk in high anointing, and you know your calling. You value your calling, you value anointing, and you value character. Throughout Samson's life, uh, there's one time, there's actually two times, but it's at the end of his life, and there's one time we see him speak to the Lord. I think this is kind of revealing of his character. It's Judges 15, 18 through 19. It says, then he became very thirsty. So, so in, the, in the story, Samson has like done a bunch of stuff. He killed a bunch of people with, a, with the donkey's jawbone, right? And it says that um, he became very thirsty and he called to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? But God split the hollow place, that is, Lehi, so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned and he revived. Therefore, he named it, it's hard to pronounce, but in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. I think this statement and this moment in Samson's life is very telling. It's the only time he speaks to God. He has no intimacy with the Lord. He has no relationship with God. He only lives off one thing, and it's anointing. It's good to value anointing. It's important. I think we should honor Samson in his ability to to value the anointing of the Lord. 
but he has no character, he has no integrity, and he has no ability to have intimacy with God. And when you live off of anointing and you don't have character, it will destroy you. And we actually see that later in Samson's life, the second time that he talks to the Lord is this. He's tied up. He's given away everything in his heart to Delilah. He's given away the treasure in the side of his heart. He hasn't guarded it. He hasn't protected it. He hasn't, he, hasn't, he hasn't kept it. She cuts off his hair, which is the reason why he, the anointing of the Lord would come upon him. He's tied up. He's chained up. He's lost, he's lost everything. And he asks the Lord for one more thing. He says, will, you come, will your spirit come upon me one more time? Will the anointing of the Lord come upon me one more time? And it says that he rips the temple down and it crushes him. I think a lot of times we hear that saying, anointing without character will crush you. And it literally is what happens to Samson's life. The anointing of the Lord, which is an amazing thing, it's something that should be valued. And we'll see that there are many characters in the Bible that value it. Without character is nothing. It will destroy you at the end of the day. And I think God is looking for a people that walk in character and integrity in the face of trials with the anointing of the Lord to be great at whatever you put your hand to. Sometimes when I hear about anointing, for me, I automatically think of of ministry because that's what I feel called to. But you know, the first time that the Lord comes upon someone, it says they're anointed by the Spirit of God. It was an artist. And what it says is that uh, he was a a blacksmith and he would create things out of gold and silver. So for me, whenever I hear anointing, I automatically think of what I'm called to do and my calling. But what if you are anointed in the business place? What if you are anointed in the hospitals? What if you are anointed in the theaters? What if you are anointed in, in the field that you're called to be in and you did it with all your might? with character and with integrity. You walked in your calling, but you did it with the anointing of the Lord backing you. Here's something that anointing isn't. Anointing isn't approval. Because we see all the time that God flows through people's lives that look nothing like Jesus. You see it with Samson. And we'll get, we'll get to a little bit more examples of that in a moment. You also see in that, in that, in that, in those scriptures when I was talking about Samson, I, I, the Lord revealed to me that Samson was full of pride and self-importance, and you see this because he even names the hollow place in Hakor, and that means the spring of him who calls. He names the place about himself. Later, you see in scripture, whenever people would create these Ebenezer's and they name it, it'd always be about the Lord. But Samson decides, you know what? I'm going to name this the name of the place who calls out to God. So he actually names this memorial that should be put unto the Lord. And he says, this is going to be about me. There was pride in Samson's heart. There was no intimacy. There was no place of knowing the Lord and getting alone with him to where he deal with the stuff inside of your heart that tears you apart. So why do you think he makes the decisions to 
give himself to Delilah, to lie, to give up his inheritance, to give up his birthright. Because he made the small choices throughout his life. And he let pride grow in his heart. He let arrogance grow in his heart. And he built no intimacy with God throughout his life. Samuel, on the other hand, lived in character. His first time speaking with the Lord, he wakes him up three times. We know the story, some of us in the room. So Samson was again, I mean Samuel again, was given as a young boy to the Lord. It said that he grew up in the temple. It said that his mom would actually bring him linen robes. So he knew the calling on his life. He was anointed by God and he was developing character and integrity. See, I believe that calling is a gift from God. You don't earn it. You don't choose it. It's whatever God puts on your life. Anointing is a gift from God. Now, there is a place of seeking God, going after God, and valuing it. But I believe character is earned. Integrity is earned. I'm not talking about works, but I am talking about it's developed. It's cultivated. And we see that through Samuel's life as a young boy. It says that his mom would bring him the linen robes that he would wear in the temple I thought this was so fascinating that he would wear the robes of a priest before he was one. So he knew the calling on his life, and it was the forefront of his life. It's what directed him. It's what led him to make the choices that he had to make to build the character on the inside of him to hold the anointing. Because I believe character is the bowl to hold the anointing. And your calling is the place where you deposit the anointing. It's the people you're called to. It's the realm. It's the sphere of influence that you're called to make an impact on the earth for. And so Samuel would wear these robes as a young boy before he was called. But the first time the Lord speaks to Samuel, this was his reply. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Anointing should always lead you to a place of servanthood. Samuel's entire life, he, he would go to the Lord and he would do whatever the Lord said to do. Samson, not one time. Samson did whatever Samson wanted to do. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and he'd go tear a whole village up. And I don't understand sometimes why that happened. But I know this, that Samuel ran the race and he finished well. He wasn't perfect. You can see the mess ups here and there. But there's a difference in making a mistake in your life and living without character. There's a difference in King David having a moment of failure with Bathsheba, but for the rest of eternity, the Bible says that he's known as one that's after God's heart. He made a mistake, but it wasn't in his heart. It wasn't his character. It wasn't what he had developed and cultivated all the years of his life. He just made a mistake. So Samson developed character. He developed integrity. And I wrote this. I said, if the anointing and calling on your life ever takes you to a position in which you won't serve and take the lowest seat and serve in that place, there's something off in your perspective. Jesus said this. If any man should be great in the kingdom of heaven, he must become the servant of all. So it's an upside down, inside out kingdom, right? It's not what the world tells us. If you want to be great in the eyes of heaven, you become a servant of all. You take the lowest place. You take the lowest road. You take the brown road, not the golden one. 
You take the dirty robe, you get on your hands and knees, and you serve in a place. And if your anointing and calling ever takes you to a place where you won't serve the people that you may be leading, or you won't serve the people that you will lead one day, then something's off. You're allowing yourself to be defined by anointing and by calling than by a son. Because Jesus was always defined by being a son of God. And it says that he was the first son of many sons. That he came to display what it is to walk and look like a son or daughter of God. And he's exactly what we're called to do. And sons take the low place. They take the low seat. And they point people to the Father. So Samson lived in anointing and calling, but without character. When you try to live in anointing and calling without character, again, the anointing will crush you. When we live in calling and anointing with no character, we cannot fully complete what is supposed to be done in our lifetime. And this is what it says about Samson at the end of his life. Then Samson, this is Judges sixteen twenty-eight. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, God, please remember, again, he's tied up. Please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. This is the second time Samson in all of the story of his life ever talked to God. Remember me, O God, that I may once again be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars of which the house rested and braced himself against them the one with his right hand and the other with his left hand. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those who he killed in his life. Here's the thing about Samson is what's remembered about him is that part. What's remembered about Samson is his failure. Because when you try to walk in calling and anointing without character, what will be remembered of you is your failure. Because the anointing will amplify anything that's in your life. I've seen it. I've seen people that they they come under an anointing of God. The Lord just puts something on their life. And what's ever inside of here will come out. It can't stay hidden. It can't play a part. I believe Samson, he knew what was right. He knew the language. He probably could walk into a church and play the part. He'd probably repent and have all big crocodile tears coming down his eyes. But I just call that a church charmer. You're not real. Don't be a church charmer. Be real. If you have a mess, guess what? We all do. To some degree, let's just make sure it's not that big of a mess. Let's grow. Let's learn. Let's let's change. Let's become like God. Let's become like Jesus. That's the call of the Lord. So character, where is it formed? It's formed in the secret, but it's proven in the public. Character is, is formed in the place where no one's looking. It's, it's what do you do? What are you like when no one's around you? What do you do? It's formed in the secret, but it's proven in the public. 
So it's proven in the face of choices. The only way character can be developed is in the face of choices. It's the only place. Because it's easy. I could sit here and say, you know what, man? I have great character. I'm long-suffering. I'm just like love. I'm long-suffering. I'm kind. I'm merciful. But if I don't hang out with anybody, you know what? I am so patient. Yeah, you don't surround yourself with people to prove it. You can say it all day, but if I don't hang out with someone that may actually kind of make me a little bit hard to be patient, I'm not growing in the things. I'm not becoming the way Jesus asked me to become. So character is always proven in the face of choices. There's two times in Scripture that it says that Samuel grew with the Lord. And he grew in stature with both God and man. And what's interesting is this is the same thing that we read about in the Gospels about Jesus. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature with both God and man. It it says that about Samuel twice. What I think that is is they grew in character. There's probably a lot that has to do with that, but they grew in their character. It says that Jesus, for 30 years, we don't see much about him. We see him as a little boy in the temple. But for 30 years, he was just a carpenter. And he developed this character that I believe stewarded what he was called to do. So we see that Jesus comes comes out. He's born. He grows up. He's a young man. He's He's a teenager, a young man. And then he's 30 years old, and he walks into... Uh, he walks into the, the desert and his cousin, John the Baptist, who's a, kind of a wild man with long, he's like, the, he's like those guys, Nazarite, never cut his hair, probably had dreadlocks down to his feet and ate locusts and honey. Actually, you know what? It's interesting. I never, knew, I never realized this, but Samson, it says that he had seven locks. So he just had Samson's hair. It says when Delilah cut it, it was seven locks. He just had seven huge Dreads, which I think is awesome. (laughs) But anyways, Jesus comes, right? He's walking in the desert, and his cousin looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sin of the world, not cover it up, not replace it, take it completely away, not fix it, take it away. So in that moment, Jesus is walking in 30 years of building intimacy with God and character. And then he receives his calling. Behold, there's the Lamb of God. So he has his character. He has his calling. It says when he's baptized, the heavens open. The Spirit of the Lord comes and rests upon him in the form of a dove. Like a dove. It's a gentle anointing comes upon him. He goes into the desert and what does he face? He faces choices. He faces choices. The devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, turn these bread or turn these rocks into bread. He's hungry. Right? If you are the son of God, throw yourself off this cliff and angels will come get you. If you are the son of God, um, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these things. What's happening? He's proving his character because he's looking at choices that are very real choices, that are very 
probably enticing at that moment when you've been 40 days without water or food, and he decides to go the way of the Lord. He says, no, I'm not going to bow down to you, Satan. And it says that he walks out in the spirit and power of God. So he has his anointing. And the first thing he does is he goes into the temple, he opens the scroll, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to declare the good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind. And he, he reads that whole passage in Isaiah. But what does he have in that moment? He values character. He values his anointing. And he values his character. And the biggest thing that I believe to see heaven come to earth is this. Those three things. If we would be a people... And I'll just finish with this. What would it look like if a people would walk the earth valuing those three things? I believe you'd see a city changed. I believe you'd see a country changed. I believe you'd see a world changed. Because you value character, but just as equally you value anointing, and just as equally you value calling. You know why I think Jesus cursed the fig tree? Have you ever read that story where Jesus is just walking along and he curses the fig tree? And I've read that story. I'm like, why? Why? What's wrong with the tree, Lord? Like, it's just a tree. What, what did it do wrong? And, you know, I've read that story and just been like, what? I don't understand. Because Jesus is just walking along. He looks at the tree. It's not producing fruit. And he's like, cursed it. It was dead. I think it's this. I think that when you walk in anointing and calling without character, like I said, you produce failure. But I believe the tree had character, it had calling, but it didn't have the anointing of God and it was fruitless. Because I believe when you walk in it's, it's an equal, right? It's the other side of the coin. When you walk in calling and you walk in character, but you don't have the anointing of the Lord upon your life, you're fruitless. Yeah. So one produces failure and one is fruitlessness. And Jesus looks at the tree and he curses it because it doesn't have fruit on its branches. You're called to be fruitful, but you're not called to be fruitful without the character to sustain it. Because Jesus wants to see us all finish well. And I've asked the question many times when I think about this topic, God, why, why do you use people when you know their heart? My first answer is I don't really know. But I think I have two parts of it. The first one is this. I don't think God sees people the way we do. I think we judge people by the outside, but God judges their heart. And the most fascinating, probably one of the most greatest exploits of love that I've ever read about is when Jesus calls Judas to be his disciple. He's Jesus. He knows a lot of things. And he looks at Judas and he says this, guess what, Judas, I love you. And I see what you're called to be. And I'm going to make you in charge of the money back. 
And what does Judas do? He sells him for 30 coins. But I believe he looked at Judas and he said, you know what, Judas? There's so much on the inside of you. There's so much that when my father formed you in your mother's womb before the beginning of time, that you're worth, I trust you. That's a love that I don't always see people with. That's a vulnerability that I don't always look at people with. That's a, that's a reality of God and of looking from the perspective of heaven that I don't always see, but I can. And it's what He's calling us to. What would it look like to call and to see people the way Jesus sees people? The way Jesus does see people? I mean, what, think about that. What would that really, like, do you really do that? Get real with yourself. Do you really do that or do you see the homeless guy on the side of the road begging for money and you just look at him and say, go get a job? Maybe he's tried. You have no idea. Maybe he hasn't. Maybe he's just panhandling. Who are you to decide? Maybe you look at the homeless person. Maybe you look at the rich person and say, look at them. They're driving around in that car and living in that house. and You don't know where they came from. Maybe they're blessed by God. Maybe God has called them. Maybe they love the Lord. And He's called them to be that light into a realm that you'll never meet the people on Wall Street. But they will. Jesus doesn't see people the way we do. I'm convicted by that. But I want to. And here's the second reason why I think God uses people. I think a lot of times we see these ministers or we see people in the Bible that don't finish well. And we judge them. We shame them. But again, you don't know their story. Jesus isn't shaming them. Jesus isn't putting them down. But a lot of them don't finish well because their character isn't developed. But here's the good news. Maybe we can learn from their lives. Maybe we can see that if God can use them, it gives me confidence He'll use me. Because I don't have moral issues. I don't live with hidden things in my life. So what can He do with somebody who lives like that? What can He do with somebody who lives with character and integrity? What can He do with someone who loves people? What can He do if He'll do that with them? And you know, you can think of whoever you want to think of healing revivalists, evangelists, whatever, people in the Scriptures, if He'll use them, if He'll use Samson, what can He do with me? What can He do with a life that's surrendered to Him and full of life and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control? What can He do with that? I think He can do amazing things. So it gives us no excuse when you see someone that may have fallen, that didn't finish well, it gives me no excuse to not do it right. Because I should come up underneath them. I should champion them. I should call them back into the fold. I should, I, should, I should champion who they are in God and who they were in God. But it should also give me confidence to do it even greater and even better. And I bet you if you were to talk to a lot of them, they'd probably say, man, I wish I could go back. And I wish I could, 
I heard this message. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I would hear more often about how awesome I am just as a son or a daughter and not for my anointing or not for my calling or not for what I'm doing on the earth, but just because I'm Dylan. Just me. I'm just me. I'm, I'm just me. And this is who I am. And I'm a son of God. So, may not be the most polished message you ever heard. But I don't want us to be a people that just, just uh, value character. And there's something about valuing anointing. It's not prideful to say, I really, I want people to say that when I bring people to Dylan, things change when he prays. It's not prideful. When people brought people to Jesus, they left healed. Not one time did they leave sick. It's okay to say, I'm going after that. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going after that anointing. That when people know that when they bring people to Dylan and he lays hands on them and prays for them, their lives are changed. Come on, let's get that. Then let's step here. Let's say, I want to be integrous. I want to do the things right. I want to love people well. I want to value my family. I want to I love people. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to lie. I don't want to steal. I want to be right before God and men. And then we step over here and we're so focused on what we're called to do on this earth that nothing changes. Not to the left or to the right, but we set our face like flint unto God and we say, this is the one thing I'm going after. And even though it may look like in the natural, I'm not doing much with my life. I'm going after that one thing. And if you do those three things, you'll finish well. If you do those three things, you'll change the world for the kingdom of heaven. We've preached the gospel for a long time about a place you go when you die. That's a real thing. But the other side of that coin is that God wants to invade that place into this through your life. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our role in walking in those three things is to make this earth look like that place. And if it's not there, it shouldn't be here. And guess whose responsibility it is? Ours. That's a big deal. He's paid his part. He's done his part. And he rose from the grave. He, gave his, he got the keys from Hades. And he said, here, it's my joy, little flock, to give you the keys to the kingdom. Go, therefore, into all the earth, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and walking how he's walked. And the last thing I'll say is this, is that Jesus, when he came on the earth, he didn't call us to be Christians. He called us to be followers of Jesus. Christian wasn't a term. We're called to look like Jesus in character and anointing and in calling. So, Father, I just thank you that you call us higher. You challenge me, Lord. You challenge me in things of God. You challenge me in the way to live life. You challenge me in how I minister. You challenge me in how I speak. God, may I be quick to ask for forgiveness in times that I don't walk in it. 
May I be quick to say yes to the things that may be challenging, but that I know you're calling me to a higher place. May I value and guard the anointing like never before in my life. The gift that you've given to each and every person in this life. May they seek your hand, God, on anointing. May they ask for your anointing and cry out for your anointing in their their field. May they know their calling and what they're called to do. And may they develop the character in the secret place in the face of choices. We love you, Lord. I thank you for this ability to speak, God. And I don't take it lightly. In Jesus' name.